Blog Talk Radio. Here we are on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Lucy Weston. Thank you for joining us for Chick Flick Chat, the recurring radio series on Here We Are. This is the show where we chat about women's roles and roles for women in movies that have been recently released on DVD and on demand. It's November 15, 2009. The featured Chick Flick Chat film is Revolutionary Road, and what a trip it takes us on. More on that in a minute. First, let's welcome Chick Flick Chat co-host Susan Regazzo to tonight's show. Hello, Susan. Hello, Lucy. I heard buzz about this movie, as well as the book, and wow, it did not disappoint. True, it did not disappoint. And just for our listeners, we had a quick technical uh, issue right before we went on air. So I'm hoping you're hearing me fine. And Susan, if there's any problem, just you know, shout out and let me know. Okay. And we're going to just keep moving along. Listeners, the call-in number is 646-929-2473. That's 646-929-2473. And chat with us. Listen along. If you're away from your computer, just call into that number. Lucy, uh, let's remind the listeners about the giveaway for Chick Flick Chat Twilight the Movie. Oh, I'm so glad you said that I was going to go right into Revolutionary yeah. Road, but thank you, Susan, for reminding me. That's a good idea. During our last Chick Flick Chat, Featuring Twilight the Movie, we uncovered a secret word. Now, you need this word for a chance to win a new copy of the paranormal anthology Hot-Blooded. You can listen to that show for all the details and to get the secret word. But hurry, the contest does end on December fifteenth, two 2009, so you have about a month, but uh, you want to get there and listen to it soon. Plus, they can also go to the blog at www. HereWeAreWithLucy.com for more details. Just search the word Twilight in the search box at the blog to quickly find the link with giveaway details. We have three new copies to give away, and this book is hot, hot, hot. You'll hear more about it if you listen to The Twilight Show. It is an over-18 book. Winning can be as easy as sending an email. So listen and uh, send the secret word in. Good luck. Uh, Okay, Susan. Let's get moving down Revolutionary Road. Okay. Revolutionary Road is based on a novel by Richard Yates and stars Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. The story surrounds Frank and April Wheeler, who move to a street in the suburbs called Revolutionary Road. They plan to raise a family in a charming house and in a quiet neighborhood. Over time, feeling unfulfilled by the suburban experience, they determine to change their path and follow their dreams. Little do they expect the surprise waiting around the corner that challenges their relationship and their future. Again, if you'd like to chat along with us, please dial 646-929-2473. Long-distance charges may apply. And FYI, because we want the Chick Flip Chat discussions to always be lively and off the cuff, this is the first time Susan and I are discussing the details of Revolutionary Road. So feel free to call us and jump in on the conversation. 
Okay, Susan, we have featured other films on Chicks Look Chat with multi-layered characters and plot lines like Julie and Julia, Rachel getting married, he's just not that into you. But I think this one is by far the most complex female lead we've covered. Would you agree? Absolutely, I do. And with this movie, there's an added dynamic of the time period. Now, granted, we did see a period piece with Julie and Julia, but... Julia Child's internal struggles did not seem as severe as we see with April Wheeler, and that's played by Kate Winslet. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I, I do think it's funny that Paris plays a big part of this film, although we never see it. And yeah. Julie and Julia, we did see it a lot. And, uh, yeah, th- this is, uh, you know, Ray, uh, April Wheeler in Revolutionary Road is just so, so sad. <laughs> I guess yes, we should just start with that, right? Yeah. Um, and Kate Winslet does an outstanding job she mm-hmm. i think she de- was destined to win the oscar this past year and if she didn't win it for the reader she would have definitely won it for revolutionary road i don't know who else could have yeah. taken you know the award Absolutely. uh amazing amazing performance yeah. that's it all right all right down to the good stuff yes the nitty-gritty there's a lot to cover so uh, opening scene of the movie, we see the New York City skyline, lights are twinkling, it's beautiful, it's nighttime, terrific music playing. Uh, they're at a party, obviously strangers see each other across the room and they meet, and uh, I think the opening line that she says is, I'm studying to be an actress. Yes. And she asks him what, Frank you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, what is he interested in? And, and he says, well, I really don't have any interest. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of takes each day as it comes, it sounds like. Which I, I find ironic because of the way the relationship develops and what she says she thinks of him, that here's this guy who doesn't have much happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we kind of we skip from these two people at a party to a curtain coming down on opening night at a community theater where she is, obviously uh, just done a performance and we see from the reactions that it wasn't the greatest performance mm-hmm. and they have a fight on the way home oh yeah where they pull over on a road yeah. and they get out of the car and they argue and we find out that you know they they moved recently they went, i don't know at this point i don't think it was recently i think they're out in the suburbs for quite a while at this point yes i agree i agree um and and i guess her being in, you know, she had this aspiration of being an actress. Obviously, we find out she didn't get that. She didn't get to that point. She's now married. She has children, and I think, you know, her being in community theater was a way to try and revive some of her dreams. And unfortunately, like you said, the evening didn't go well. It was not a good performance, and she's obviously distraught. Right, and he and he does try. He does kind of uh, try to be nice in the car. He's like, well, those other people, they're amateurs. You studied. Yes. Although that's sort of a double-edged sword, sword because if she studied and it wasn't good, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, and they're amateurs. They they don't have any excuse, really. What's her excuse? Yeah, um, yeah. So she, you know, it's one of those things that uh, we see, yeah, her disappointment and, and, and her discontent right at the very beginning, basically, as the story gets going. Mm-hmm. And she says during that fight, you put me in a trap. Yeah. From the, from that point, she she sets the theme for the film with that line. Absolutely, you put me in a trap, and mm-hmm. it's you know it's like oh okay, and then you know they get back in the car, and they they drive home, and the next day you see him going to work, 
And what what I just I, I find this hilarious. You know, obviously we're in 2009. We've lived different lives, but it was all men on the train. Yes, it was interesting, right? All men in their uniforms of a suit and tie with their fedora mm-hmm. hats on, and and I love to see this retrospectively, but I can't imagine life being this way. But oh, you know, the men went to work, and mm-hmm. she, the women stayed home, obviously, mm-hmm. or had uh, typically female jobs, teachers, secretaries, that type of thing. Exactly. Uh, we've come a long way, I should say. Yes, uh, thankfully, we have come we a have. long way. But okay, it also, go ahead. Uh, it also, I think, just was um, the the. What, what am I trying to say? It's the basis of her discontent. Is yeah. that 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 is so ingrained with the entire society is going mm-hmm. to work, one half of the society is going to work every day, going out into the world, meeting people, doing you know supposedly what they want to do. In his case, he's not even doing that, but at least he has the option to go out. She's stuck at home. She is, and she's playing a role, a role that she's not happy with. Very but good it, point. She, there's that one scene, and I thought it was the the epitome of the time where she came to the door with an apron on, and she hands him a glass of an alcoholic beverage to drink. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's walking up with his hat and his briefcase, and, you know, the wife hands him the drink. And it was just so, such the time period, you know, of, of what the w- woman's role was and what the man's role was. It was very uh, Donna Reedish. Very Donna Reedish. And, and also she's waiting for him. Yes. You know, and now, you know, he's coming in, and he, and, and also, uh, this is just an aside, I, I am very into Mad Men right now, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I think we should have a, a chick flick chat about Mad Men. Okay. <laughs> the same thing happens every night. Don Draper comes home, goes right to the cabinet, and pours himself a drink, or uh-huh. she has it waiting for him. And uh, it's it's just the, the way their behavior was. You know, that mm-hmm. was what they did every day. Um, and again, you know, she you're right. That's, she's wearing, it's, it's almost like that's her uniform. Yeah, that apron and to play the mm-hmm. nice wife and to be waiting mm-hmm. and be attentive uh, mm-hmm. to him. And I guess that was the time. It was. And that was a, that was what was expected. Yes. You know, women who did otherwise just wasn't, it was kind of, I, I don't want to say frowned upon, but maybe it was a little bit when we see later on with Kat, Kathy uh, Bates' character. Right. You know, um, you know there was a flashback early on in the film when they start to discuss uh, uh, Paris, and yeah. this becomes a very big issue for them. They they decide uh, he's discontent. He's not happy with his job, and she is obviously you know miserable. So mm-hmm. they she gets this idea that they should move to Paris, and she yeah. does some research, I guess, and she knows that if they sell the house in the amount of money that they have saved, that they could afford to live there for a certain amount of time, and she could get a job, and he could then have the time he needs to find himself. Mm-hmm. And the one thing he the first thing he says to her is what kind of job are you going to do in Europe? Right, exactly. And mm-hmm. he, it's in disbelief, basically. Like, you're going to get a job, you're going to support it. She says, I can do secretarial work. Do you mm-hmm. know what they're paying uh, uh, in the, the NATO the, office or something? Yes. yes, and that was very forward-thinking back then. Forward-thinking for them as a couple, but not forward-thinking because he's thinking, what is she going to do? And she, her only option is secretarial work. Yeah. yes, exactly. Exactly. So that he has now that she's going to work, it gives him time to pursue whatever his dreams are. And I think she was almost piggybacking on that. She was still even putting her own desires aside 
using him as the vehicle to get out of the life that she currently was stuck in. Yes, that's a very good point. And, and you mean that she's using him to get to Paris? Yes. That if she, she can't go on her own. Exactly, exactly. I mean, she could have, but that would be then leaving him, leaving two children. It was sort of, I guess it wasn't really done. And how would she, I guess she could have gone and then been a secretary and supported herself, but how do you explain your situation? And she loved him. Yeah, I think she did, absolutely. You know, and they they talk about, he tells her in Paris, you know, people are alive there. I know. This this idea that people elsewhere are living the lives they want to be living and that they, you know, that and here she is stuck in this Mm -hmm. house on this hill, you know, with with the basic idea that this is what you're supposed to enjoy and have and be happy for. And she wasn't enjoying it. No. This was not her idea of a good time. No, it was definitely not her idea of a good time. I, would, I definitely, that's a, a good way to put it. Um, part of it, too, is, you know, I think she became so numb over, the, over time. She became numb. She was playing this role she was unhappy with. She was stuck. She had no control over her life. And uh, as you said before, she said, people are alive in Paris. Her exact quote was, people are alive in Paris. I want to feel things. Yes. It tells me she was numb. She was numb, getting numb at this point, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, and and in the flashback that I referred to earlier, I didn't finish my point, was that she, they, uh, she says to him in the flashback when he's telling her about Paris, she, he says, you've never been there. And she says, I've never really been anywhere. Yeah. So here's this girl in New York City. And we never really learned, I don't think, where she came from, whether she was a girl from New York mm. or she came to New York to be an actress. But she she she's never been anywhere. And yet then she hooks her wagon to him, and goes nowhere from there. Yeah, exactly. But it was also not, I have to say, this is something that occurs a lot of times with women is they make bad choices from the get-go. He was a guy that was saying, I didn't have any interests. Well, was it a bad choice, do you think? I think I so. Mean, you think? They, I mean, they loved each other. Perhaps he didn't have necessarily a goal in mind, but I think maybe the love was there for them. But, and they took the natural progression, which was right. marriage. I guess but, that, well, also we find out later on that she got pregnant. Yes, yes. Before, oh, that's right. Right, before so it wasn't necessarily, I mean, she got involved with him willingly, mm-hmm. knowing who he was, but then she got pregnant. But then that shows you that the choices then were slim to none. That what were you going to do? Absolutely. So you Absolutely. got married or you were a woman with, you know, an unwed woman with a child. And uh, mm-hmm. because obviously you couldn't have an abortion legally. So... Mm-hmm. There, you know, there, there. She was stuck, and uh, there was a point I wanted to bring up uh, later on, but I'm going to bring it up now since we're talking about this about biology being destiny. Okay. And I think this film really brings out that whole idea that is, you know, is it, there's a lot to discuss with that, and I don't want to just spend the whole show talking about that. But I think it's an important point to say, like women, up until really the, you know, since the late. 60s, early 70s, when you had more control over your own bodies, you really didn't have much choice. That's true. If any, your, your biology was sort of your destiny for, especially for our grandmothers and you know great grandmothers and women before them. They, you know, they they got pregnant and you had a baby, and then what were you going to do? You couldn't really leave mm-hmm. a child. Most mm-hmm. women weren't in a position to do that. Yes, most women were. I mean, there were a few exceptions. Right, you know, and women that could the afford... Other side of the, the coin, you look at someone like Jane Austen, speaking of biology as her destiny, if she had had children, I don't know that she would have been the famous writer that she was. Good is. point, yes. 
You know, so it can work on the flip side, too. Mm-hmm. But she didn't have, like you mentioned, she did not have many options back then. She was considered an old maid, a spinster by 30. Right. And, you know, she had opportunities to marry, but, you know, she wanted to find someone she actually loved. So I give so you think, like, that. how many women in society over, you know, since the beginning of time, you could have done other things, especially mm-hmm. in the last, you know, century, uh, you could have done fabulous things, but if you got pregnant, you didn't really have a whole no. lot of options after that. Not at all. You knew what your job was after that. You knew what your job was. Yeah. So there was your destiny. That's you know, and there's, there's a lot we could go into with that. So let's leave that for another day, and we're, we're going right. to move on with this movie because there's so much <laughs> to cover. Um, but, I, you know, I, I have to tell you, I, I had a profound sense of sadness mm. watching this film. As did I. Absolutely. You and I didn't know where it was going. Did you know? I had no idea what the story was about when I saw it. It totally threw me for a loop. Not that it threw me for a loop, but it, it just grabbed me, completely grabbed me. Grabbed me, and I just, I mean, you know from the, the get-go, obviously this is not a happy, peppy story. Mm-hmm. Although you have glimmers, like when, you know, when they have the flashback, when they see the house for the first time, and she looks mm-hmm. up and she says mm-hmm. it's charming or it's lovely or something, and, it, and you see it in the reflection of the window, and it is. It's all shiny, and, mm-hmm. and the Kathy Bates, who's the realtor, is talking mm-hmm. it up and saying how lovely it is, and, and you see their vision for their future, and it just turns out to not be that. Yeah. Yeah, and there's something to be said for the newness of the moment. The new that was exciting to her. You know, it was new, and oh, we're buying a house, we're starting a family, and it wasn't. You know, with time, things kind of gradually lose their excitement. Yes, I guess you can say. You know, um, but it was nice seeing those glimmers. Unfortunately, with time, we take things for granted. I think, and also things don't always turn out the way you think they're going to turn out. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's 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 one of those things you you see it a certain way and you hope it's going to be and then it's really not. It's you know it's pulling the curtain back on things. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's the idea that you know things are 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 what they are supposed to be and then when you find out it's like when you find out about a friend who has a really bad marriage but for all intents and purposes to the outside world everybody thinks they're great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you go, what? I didn't know that was going on. You know, and you it's. it's you, and if there's a surprise factor there, so it, there's a, it's a veil, it's a, you know, a covering. Um, yeah. Okay, so they have these neighbors. Okay. And, <laughs> Millie and Shep, <laughs> and uh, they're they're their own show, but it, you know, it's, it's the Millie and Shep show <laughs> next door. <laughs> uh, who they're doing the same thing. They're in this house. He's got these four kids. They've got four kids. He walks into a room. The kids don't even look at him. Yeah. And he's obviously miserable. And we, the first, you know, real scene we see Chef in is um, he comes down. He says to the kids, hey, they, they ignore him. And he goes outside to light a cigarette. And he's looking down on April and Frank Wheeler's house. Yes. Yes. Longingly. Very long. You definitely get that impression. Absolutely. And then she pops up in the doorway. Mm-hmm. April does, in a really nice dress. Yeah. And you see him looking at her beyond his own wife, and you get the whole story right there. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, they have the drinks, and then when, when April and Frank tell Millie and Shep that they're going to move to Paris, everything's like, oh, okay, you know, the, the typical questions come. But what I found most interesting was later on that night when Millie's sitting on the bed, and he comes in, Shep comes in the room and says, I, I think it's all very immature. 
Yeah. And she says, I'm so happy you said that. Yeah, I know. And starts falling. Yep. Yep. Now, and what did said, you find interesting about that line? I Because it was she had to say, like, he was making an excuse for probably feeling bad that they couldn't take off and run to Paris. Okay. Or do something exotic and, and different. And, and they were kind of trapped with these four kids in the house and the mortgage. And she realized that. So I think in her tears and her sobbing was that, you know, I guess maybe a, a mix of je- jealousy mm. and longing and fear, like your friend is moving. All those things rolled into one. But it also yeah. was, uh, I thought, a, a display of how unhappy she was, even though she hid it better. Yeah. You know, that's funny. That's a a very interesting um, thought, and I agree with you now. My original perspective on that line, I had thought, not that I had thought, but she would not speak her feelings until he made his feelings known and found out that they were agreeable to her. Then she felt like she could talk about it. But, But all she did was cry. She didn't tell him why. So, yeah, now that you say that, that makes complete sense. He was like, that's, what, what? And she was yeah. like, oh, no, no, I'm just happy. <laughs> yeah. Because I, later on when they all go to a bar together, they're at the honky-tonk bar, and she's mm-hmm. dancing with Frank. Yeah. Millie, and, and he says something about April being sad or, or you know, because the at the, that point later in the film, they're not going to be going to Paris. And she says, Millie says to Frank, give us girls a couple of days and we can get over anything. I know. I That line got me a little mad. <laughs> I don't... So she's a good pretender. She's probably the better actress of the two women. Oh, I agree completely. She is the better actress. She sucks it up. She does what she's supposed to do. She puts a smile on her face. She doesn't have an opinion. This is This is her job. I also think she knew Shep was having feelings for April. I think so, too. I think she knew. I think it was obvious. I think that was obvious, yes. The longing looks he gave her, and yeah. You know, she was aware of it, but what is she going to do? Yeah. Again, where is she going to go with four kids? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then at the end of that night, she ends up being sick. Frank takes Millie home. April stays back with Shep. And they end up having sex. Yeah. Which we saw that coming a mile away. I didn't see it coming. No? Not really. I knew when they were dancing, and she and, and April was very alive when she was dancing with Shep, and I just thought it was flirtation. I did not expect it to go to the point of the, you know, doing the deed in the car. Okay. Yeah. I, I think she, she was so trapped, and this was her, this was her attempt at... Feeling something, feeling anything, and and it absolutely. I In that it. moment, do you think it was a little bit of um, revenge, because now she knew she wasn't going to be going to Paris, so she she used Shep in a way. She definitely used him. Yes. Um, I don't know if it was as calculated as her being mad and she this is her revenge. I think she just felt she had lost all complete hope and she needed. Just something, something to make her feel alive. For a few minutes, yes. Because she did say at one point in the film to Frank, uh, she felt alive the first time he made love to her. Yeah, yeah. So I guess she was trying to, that's a very good point, Susan, she was trying to recapture those feelings Mm -hmm. when she was with Shep. I just didn't, because they were neighbors and she was friends with his, I just was really 
surprised that it got to that point. Okay. Yeah. I was. I just was like, whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I really was. I just was like, oh, oh, oh all right. Um, I didn't expect that. So that was, I didn't see it coming. I saw them okay. kibitzing and, you know, flirting, but not, yeah. uh, not, not, not the car scene. And, he, yeah. and then he confesses, I love you. I've always wanted this to happen. I know. And she's like, oh, I just don't talk. Which, you know what, I'm glad you brought that up because we see that, I saw that as a theme in the movie. She kept on saying not only, she said to Frank at least two or three times, and then she said to Shep, she's like, just don't talk. Just don't just talk. Don't talk. And I'm, I was wondering, you know, what are, do you have any takes on that? Well, I, I, let's go to the, the Mrs. Givings, which I thought when I first heard the movie was, was Miss Gibbons, but mm-hmm. then um, I learned that it was Miss Givings, which I think is very... I, you know, it, I didn't hear it correctly, and had I heard it, I would have caught on right away. But misgiving, Mrs. Givings, he said, "Oh, hello, Mrs. Givings." But misgivings, I got out my American Heritage Dic- Dictionary, mm-hmm. and the word misgivings is a feeling of uncertainty or apprehension. Oh, very interesting. So, it, and she was, she was all like, "Oh, she didn't know what to do every moment," and you know, and it, you know, and Kathy Bates is such a wonderful actress that she, oh she didn't really have to do a whole yeah. lot to make us know she was completely apprehensive of the situation. Mm-hmm. She has this son who is. Uh, we don't really know what's wrong with him, but because whatever they were doing to him in the late fifties, whatever this time period is, you know, he obviously has some problems, but the the. The truth is that he is speaking the truth he is. every I time love- he's talking to anybody. Yep, and that's John was a great character. Oh. He says what everyone else is thinking, but too afraid to say it or to admit to it. Right. I mean, he and he, and that who who played that character? That's Michael Shannon, right? Michael Shannon played um, John. That is Gibbs. Michael Shannon. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, he really a wonderful performance, and mm-hmm. it was, uh, you know, he. He has those moments with him where he's telling the truth. He's, see, he's telling it as he sees it. And then when they're in the living room, there's a scene where she gets up and she looks out the picture window. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, look at this beautiful picture window. Yeah. You know, and she's going on about it. And he, him, he's standing in the background, you know, basically spewing the truth. Yeah. She doesn't want to hear it. She wants she the facade. She doesn't want to hear it. Right. She plays the facade very well, and then she wants to keep, keep it up. And and she uses this uh, euphemism of he's not well. He's not well. He's yeah, not he, well. He but was in the psychiatric ward because he needed some rest. Right. But she, but I think when she's saying he's not well, it's because he is speaking the truth. People mm. who you know, other people, everyone else, basically herself included, they're all living this lie. Yep. And anyone who is the you know speaks the truth is obviously off his rocker because how could he feel that way? Yeah. Yeah. He's not buying into this whole facade that they're supposed to be living and be happy with. As a matter um, of fact, there's a great quote I, I pulled from the movie, and I believe that April says it. She says, no one forgets the truth. They just get better at lying. Oh, you know, that's, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to bring that in at the end. That, I think, was the epitome of the message of this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. No one forgets the truth. They just get better at lying. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's changed so much um, from the 1950s until now. I have to agree. I don't. I don't know either. And that's uh, like that's a. Um, is that the message of the movie that things are still going on and you just have to kind of plow through and make your life what you want it to be? Otherwise, you will end up mm-hmm. falling Definitely. behind this curtain of uh, you mm-hmm. know 
uh, not what you want, what you you know, discontent and uh, I don't know. That's it was a that was a really key line. Uh, and thank you yeah. for yeah. saying that. Um, okay, she gets pregnant with the third child. Yeah. We got to get to this point, and she apologizes. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Hello. I know. <laughs> it wasn't just you. It wasn't an immaculate conception. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But that's what we do as women. We apologize all the time. Too and much, it, I think. Too much. Not anymore. I hope we're not doing that. I hope not. Right? Please, women who are listening to this show, stop apologizing for things. <laughs> Be yourself. Stop apologizing. Um, yeah, just, you know, it's, it, uh, yeah, that was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. And and even Mrs. Mrs. Givings apologizes. I'm so sorry. I'm so oh. sorry about her son's words. Yeah. You know, he, he has that uh, another scene with him where he turns and he's like, why aren't you going to Paris? And obviously they're not going to Paris now because Frank gets an opportunity at the at the company and she's pregnant and they, mm-hmm. he feels they have to stay if if that was truly the reason. And then he John in in the meeting with him at the around the table says, you know, I feel sorry for you. And he but he recognizes her pain because obviously he sees how miserable she is. And he says, but I'm glad that I won't be that kid. That's right. But he is that kid. That's why he's crazy. That's true. I never looked at it that way. You're right. He's that kid. He was raised with this family mm-hmm. doing the same exact thing, which mm-hmm. we find out for sure at the end. But um, we'll come to that. So, all right, so we talked about that. Let's, let's get to uh, the affair that Frank has with the office girl. Okay. What was that about? You know what? I think he's he's having a similar problem. He's stuck. We a theme we see in the movie is he's his father. He never wanted to be his father. He ends up working at the same company his father worked at. Right. You know, he was this free guy. He didn't know what he wanted. He was just going to kind of live life. And here he was stuck in a job. And you know, I'm not offering this as an explanation, but I think that's probably what led him to do that. He was looking for a little more excitement. He was looking to not be so numb. He was tired of suburbia as well. Yes. And I think that's what led him to do that. And and besides that, you know, having the affair, and then he he was acting like the big shot with her at at lunch, mm. and then she comes and sees him when they're not drinking, and she says something to him about his father and his position, and she, so she actually kind of sees him clearly. Yeah. And then he goes home and he tells the wife that he had this affair with her, and and you know that starts this whole big fight towards the end of the movie, which is really the the climactic ending is that she. They have a huge fight and a blow-up, and she runs outside, and she goes into the woods and obviously comes to some decisions. And then the next day, she gets up and acts like everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Nothing She's happened. got her apron yeah. on. Yep. She's made breakfast. She has breakfast with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and she sends the kids off to Millie's and then sends him off to work. Mm-hmm. And he's happy as a clam. Everything's back to normal. Yes. Right? Because... She tells him what he wants to hear. That's exactly it. She's acting interested in his job. You know, she, what kind of eggs do you want, honey? Scrambled. Right. Well, I'll have scrambled too. You know? And then he, he says, oh, you don't hate me? And she says, no, I don't hate you. <laughs> and, you know, part of it is the role. And I think part of it is, I think she realizes at this point, it might be the last time she sees him. And she wants to leave him with pleasant thoughts. Do you think it do you well all right now there's some we're going to reveal the ending so if you haven't seen the movie you're going to hear it now uh she has a, a tube or some apparatus and she gives mm-hmm. herself a 
I assume, was a hot water boiling, a boiling pot of hot water abortion. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's what was going on there. Yeah, I, I don't know how it happened, but yeah, it was like a yeah. self-administered abortion. Right. And she comes downstairs after, you know, she, she comes and she's standing at that same picture window. Yeah. And she starts bleeding, and then she walks to the phone, and she says, you know, um, you know, this is the 115 Revolutionary Road. I think I need help. Yeah. She finally asks for help. Mm-hmm. And it's too late. It's too late. Yep. And, but she was very neat. She did the dishes. Mm-hmm. She cleaned up the house. She called about the children. Mm-hmm. You know, she did all these things in preparation of giving herself this abortion, do you think it was a suicide, or do you think because because she dies from complications, from yeah. bleeding to death? But yeah. or was this just a, something she she needed to get rid of this child so that she could move on? I don't know that it was a suicide, but I think she had made her peace with the fact that if it was okay, fine, it's better than the hell I'm living in now. Um, I don't think she necessarily intended to be to, intended it to be as such. But um, we do know that throughout the movie, it's, it was said a couple of times, oh, uh, doing this uh, abortion at home, it could be safe up to six weeks. And we know that it was after the six-week mark. So we, we have a recognition that there was risk involved. So I yes. Think she was but, ready to meet either fate. I think she kind of knew. Right. I think you're right, Sue, that she didn't care that if, if, it, if it was – it was almost like she hadn't – well, she did say right before that when they were having the big fight um, that she wanted in by moving to Paris because he said, oh, you want out of this? She said, no, I want it in. Yeah. I just wanted us to live again. So yeah. she, and she tells him she doesn't love him anymore at that moment during that really big fight. That, and, you know, he, she's, she's numb. So it's all these things at that 12-week mark where it's, it's now past that mark, the safe mm-hmm. time. And I guess she sees it's like it is basically do or die. Yeah. Yeah. And she was you okay know, with that. And she says, I saw a whole other future. I can't leave. I can't stay. I'm no use to anyone. Mm-hmm. So in that, that made me think that it was sort of a suicide thing or at least a serious enough cry for help. Yeah. That yeah. she had to get out. She had to do something to make him understand because he was just happy going off eating after, eat, after eating his eggs, going off to work. He was. Thinking everything was okay, even though the night before <laughs> right. she spent in the woods and, you know, he was in the house. Um, okay. It's a lot of stuff in this movie. It is. And it's intense. Yeah. Very intense. I, mm-hmm. I, When the movie was over, I felt exhausted. Oh, yes. I agree. I had a certain sadness I felt afterwards. Yeah. Mine carried all the way through and just... It was, you know, I watched it the first time, and then we picked it for Chick Flick Chat, and then I watched it again to to make my notes. And the second time through, it was hard to watch because I knew was what was coming, mm-hmm. and it, I felt even more sad. I think the second time around, it was just I think for all women that were in this position, just that's how good this film I thought was. Oh. Um, okay, let's talk about the sets and okay. the clothes. Amazing. Right? Really you, felt like you were there. You absolutely did. Like you mentioned the train scene when you see all the mm-hmm. men. They all wore the hats. and they all, It was just it was phenomenal. 
I thought it was funny how everybody was drinking at work and everybody was, you know, she yeah. was drinking while she was pregnant and smoking while she's pregnant. Smoking, smoking everyone. Yeah, it's like, all the smoking. I know. And we look at it now and we're like, oh, that's disgusting. That's so wrong. But back then they had no idea. Right. You know? And, when, and just, you know, that was the lifestyle. It was. It was. Absolutely. But uh, yeah. it was amazing. The sets, everything. The house was beautiful. I thought it was yeah. a picturesque, picturesque house. Especially right. There was nothing like, not to like about it. Yeah. It was sweet. It was, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it, 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 they fit there and, and yet they didn't fit there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, I liked the, I, I liked what, what I noticed about her clothing was after the play, when, when we first see her, she's in a tight outfit. Then after the play, she's in a fairly tight outfit, like a blouse and a skirt. Then all the other times we see her, she's got that 50s Donna Reed dress with whatever's under that skirt, crinlins or skirt yeah. slips. Mm-hmm. And it's thick and it's, you know, it doesn't really show off her figure. And then once they decided to go to Paris, she's in these chic dresses. Mm-hmm. And they fit her body. And it's just, she looks, I mean, she looks really good. But the tight, to me, that meant that, like, the big dresses covered up her body. While they were doing that, it was also covering up who she was because she was yeah. stuck. Absolutely. But once she was free, those tight dresses allowed her to be who she was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, not, not in terms of wardrobe, but we see something similar with Frank. He, um, we notice, like, he, he hates his job. It's boring to him. But once they, find, they figure out, yes, we're going to Paris, all of a sudden, he becomes phenomenal at what he's doing. And yes, he's all free, and he and he makes that whole statement to the into the tape mm-hmm. recorder about it, and then he ends up getting a promotion out of it. Yeah, so, so that freedom, being. yeah, mm-hmm. the freedom ended up being sort of his enslavement in a way. Yeah, and it's, it, I guess because her only thing was was the house and the kids that she was able to portray her freedom through her clothing, like you said. And her, and it was just the way she felt about herself. Exactly. Because the yeah. clothes express who you are, and you know, here mm-hmm. she was. She was this woman, and she was vibrant. She wasn't covered up in all these, you know, in, in the, the, the social mores of the time that came with those yeah. dresses. And clothing is a statement of of a person. And I've seen a resurgence in those clothes. Uh, they, they're they're classic. Those dresses with the yeah. bigger skirts. You've been seeing it. I hate it. It's like, what is that about? I wouldn't I have to get in it. <laughs> I get, well, that's besides the whole. The, the it just doesn't look nice. It's just yeah. not. And yet, I think that's because you know there's some a bit of a throwback to. Yeah, it comes with a whole yeah. bunch of baggage. Yes, like it does. On yes, onto those crinlins. <laughs> yeah, a lot of baggage. <laughs> um, when she is in the woods. And the the and he stays he stays in the house. The lighting through all the windows, mm-hmm. the moonlight came in, came, coming in was mm-hmm. all shadowed like prison bars. Oh, and I didn't notice that the first time I saw the film. It was the second time that I saw it. I said, "Oh my gosh, how appropriate!" And he's laying on the bed, and you really can't tell where he is. He could have been in a prison because yeah. all the way the, the way the light was coming in and just hitting him and. You know, and she's outside up on this hill smoking a cigarette, and he's laying on the bed, trapped. And in, and ultimately, he is trapped. He ends up being trapped. Mm-hmm. She dies, and mm-hmm. he's trapped with the kids. But he moves back to New York City. We learn. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. had he? Why didn't he just take her back to New York City to begin with? Right. At least it would be something different. Right. And she yeah. might have been happy there. Yeah. Well, I guess they were trying to live up to that expectation. Right. Of the perfect household, the perfect family. You know, the facade. And they were special, and you know, but yeah. they weren't. And she realizes that they're not special, and mm-hmm. you know, it, oh, that that really, yeah, that was 
he ends up back in the city. I'm like, oh, what a kick in the pants. Like, it just right. was not. And then Shep and Millie, towards the end, they have a new couple, obviously, who moved into the house. And they, they're telling what happened. And Shep goes outside. And Millie follows him. And he says, you know, I don't want to talk about the Wheelers anymore. Yeah. And she smiles with relief. She's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, things can go back to their old doll. Yeah. I think, well, first of all, she's happy because, as we mentioned before, we think that she knows Shep's attraction to right. April. So, and she uh, does. And, and, you know, this goes back to that phrase that you brought up with no one forgets the truth. They just get better at lying. lying. It's, yeah. Yeah. I do Sweep think it also, under the carpet. To an extent, I, I have to wonder if Shep is like, okay, you know what? I'm grateful for what I have. Look what happened to the Wheelers. You know what? Maybe it's not so bad over here with Millie. I'm wondering oh, definitely. if he had a bit of that recognition going on. Definitely. I think after they, they had sex, uh, he and April did, it was, it was disappointing for him. Yeah. Because she, he expected her to profess her love to him, and that didn't happen, mm-hmm. so he was mm-hmm. let down, too. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so the, the, the image was shattered of what he thought and his whole fantasy. And So, yes, that definitely, definitely a film about the grass is always greener. Mm. You know, amazing, just amazing work overall. Um, okay, Miss Susan, okay. what else do you need to add, like to add, have to say, anything busting out of you? You know what? There's only one little point I would like to make. Okay. Um, does the time period change things, or or is it the same today? And and I think, um, I think a lot has improved. We discussed how, you know, women in society, we now, you know, on the train, we're working, we're involved, we're out there. However, um, I think some things have become worse. I think now there is this ex- expectation of the modern female. She does it all. She works full time. She cleans the house. She's a mother. You know, she has to live up to this new status of woman, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's more stifling. I think we're uh, more stifled. I, I have to agree with you. Um, there, that is, I think that's be, it's coming to the forefront now because people are starting to talk about it more. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that I know uh, quite a few women who have given up nice careers and uh, you know to have children, and I don't think will they admit it. Probably not. Although they actually have one that does admit they're not so happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things aren't going the way that they they thought it would in terms of feeling fulfilled. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there is definitely discontent still going on. I, you know, my grandmother, who was uh, certainly, you know, got married, had children, did the whole. She seemed to be quite happy, but I also knew her old, you know, when she was older in her life. Yeah, I knew her for a long time, but does that mean she was unhappy when she was younger, or was that just they didn't have any other expectations? That that could be. Well, expectation is a key word. Expectation is a killer. You know, if you don't have realistic expectations, you're you're going to shoot yourself. You have the potential of shooting yourself in the foot. If you go into something and, let's say, let's find an example with April. She had this expectation of what suburbia was going to be like. Right, we think so. We don't know why they moved there. We assume that it was was to raise the children because that was the ideal that you did. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't turn out the way she had pictured in her head. So now that starts a spiral Mm -hmm. of things to follow. And look what happened. You know, well, you I know, think maybe. her whole yeah, her whole expectation of her life was because she didn't she just wanted to be an actress and it just didn't you know, mm. she hooked her wagon like we said earlier to him and he didn't have much going on. I and then she got pregnant. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, moderate expectations. You you have to also look at what you do have 
and be happy for the good yeah. things that you do have. That it's is a, absolutely true. You have to. It's it's a, a fine line. It really is. And Definitely, yeah, being grateful. But you know, there is something that goes along with making yourself happy. And you can do both, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. But we haven't learned how to do both yet. Actually, We're let still- me. Let, I just want to expand about that. That's something I have to say. I think it's. It, to be happy, you have to make yourself happy. And this mm-hmm. film also brings out this point that no no one can really make you happy but yourself. So you have to make choices that you're happy with. That Even mm-hmm. if things don't work out, it's okay. You have to try things. She wasn't getting the opportunity to try yeah. even what she yeah. wanted to do. Absolutely. So there was no chance of her being happy. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that, that is definitely something that is current today in our society. Mm-hmm. And we'll have mm-hmm. to do a show about that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but right now... Um, I oh my gosh there was I ha, I am looking at my notepad my notes and I'm saying oh so much we didn't even get to but thank you Susan this was great and I am thank looking you. forward to the January 2010 Chick Flick Chat when we feature New Moon as the follow up to Twilight on Here We Are Radio Show thank you listeners for joining us and we invite you to stop by Here We Are with Lucy dot com for lots of helpful lifestyle. Info And remember, subscribe for email updates. You're included in our monthly giveaways, and it's free. We never sell or share your information. I'm Lucy Weston, and I look forward to talking with you next time. Don't forget, we'll be doing New Moon. And on Here We Are, Chick Flick Chat. Until then, may your life be better, brighter, and easier on your way to running the world. Bye now.